Well, this morning, we're going to pick back up in the Sermon on the Mount, where we left off from last week. Uh, Doug faithfully preached for us about divorce and the commitment of marriage. And today, we will see what Jesus has to say about oath-making. Oath-making. If you're scratching your head right now, that's okay. We'll clear some things up in a minute. Uh, uh, Today, and what we'll discover here is something that we've been discovering along the way, that Jesus is directly addressing something, but what's going on is a far deeper issue uh, than what seems to be on the surface. What I pray that we see is that true disciples of Jesus actually love truth. Uh, Loving truth leads to a life of honest words and deeds done before the very face of God. You don't live before any other. And this is not just any truth, okay? This is not your truth. This is not the government's truth or your parents' truth. No, what Jesus is pointing us to is that those who follow him will be those who are lovers of the truth. The word and subsequent deeds of true disciples of the, of the true king are marked then by honesty, truthfulness, integrity, and purity in love. Uh, During the series of the Sermon on the Mount, we've been discovering what it really means to be a true disciple of the true king. And the the Sermon on the Mount, then, is our source of what a Christian it really is. So, if you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, then I ask that you would simply read the Sermon on the Mount. So, turn with me. If you're using one of the Bibles that are in the seat backs in front of you to page 760 to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, or turn in your own copy of God's Word to Matthew 5. You read along as I read aloud. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let me pray for our time in the Word this morning. Oh, Father God, You have blessed us with your word, that we might treasure it, that we might hide it in our hearts, that we might obey it, that we might, be li- that we might live by it and be characterized by it. That is no less true of what Christ calls us to here today. 
Oh, Father God, I pray that we would see the high standard that He is calling us to, to be lovers of truth. And that we would be marked by loving truth. That our words and our deeds would be truthful and honest. But God, to do that, we desperately need your help. So God, I pray you come to our aid this morning. And where we find ourselves convicted, we would repent and follow after our true King. And God, where we find ourselves to be faithful, may we continue in faithful obedience, spurred on and edified to live before your very face. Father, we thank you for the words of Christ. May we study them and apply them to our lives in this time. In Christ's name, amen. So friends, if you walk away from anything else, with, it, with, it, with anything else this morning, I would ask that you would walk away with this, that true disciples love truth. True disciples love truth. Since true followers of Jesus are lovers of truth, as Jesus teaches in this infamous sermon, we'll see that a love for truth leads true disciples to live quite differently than the world. Lovers of truth live to put away falsehood and keep their word. True disciples then are people who are not false in their speech and in their dealings. And Jesus' followers, true disciples, are those who do not lie and keep their word. And those are going to be our two main handlebars this morning. True disciples uh, don't lie and true disciples keep their word. Let's look at verses 33 to 36 because that's going to be our first point this morning is true disciples don't lie. Uh, what exactly, though, is an oath? I mean, Jesus says, again, you've heard it said, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. What is an oath? There are a few places in our modern world where the types of oaths that Jesus is speaking of here are used. Uh, we, may be, we may be familiar with some truths, though, or some oaths, though, like taking an oath in court to state the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Or maybe you have a friend or family member um, who had to, who's a doctor and had to take the Hippocratic Oath a pledge that they would use medicine for good and the healing of others. But oaths here, biblical oaths uh, that Jesus is speaking of, are promises or covenants that typically invoke God's name and a willingness to face God's consequences if the oath is broken. A, a biblical oath that Jesus speaks of is a promise that invokes God's name and a willingness to face the consequences of God if the oath is broken. Uh, Jesus here is charging the, the religious practices of the Pharisees and scribes when it comes to oath-taking. Because the Pharisees and scribes had made attempts to simply avoid the misuse of God's name in their oath-making. And, and their attempt to avoid misusing God's name was uh, um, was actually uh, made by was to make clever statements which seemed to circumvent saying the name of God at all. 
Jesus opposed their legal interpretation that allowed for these loopholes or exceptions to the moral commands which actually, uh, when, they, when they invoked these loopholes and exceptions, they actually spoiled the very law of God and God's original intent. And that's what Jesus is getting at. And, and later on, in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 23 of Matthew's Gospel, in verses 16 to 22, Jesus is actually going to go, go on to warn the Pharisees uh, of their distortions of oaths and call the Jewish leaders blind and foolish for their attempt to make an oath by things that belong to God without actually calling His name at all. You see, these religious leaders did, the, did not realize that by teaching people to promise by heaven, that's what Jesus says, like don't swear by heaven, don't swear by earth, or don't swear by Jerusalem or the hair on your head. He was teaching them that if they were to do this, that they were actually calling out the things that belong to God. And when you invoke the things that belong to God, you invoke His name. They didn't realize that by teaching people to promise by heaven and earth and Jerusalem and their head, that they were actually claiming the things that God owned. Heaven is His throne. The earth is His footstool. Jerusalem belongs to Him. And He alone possesses the power, sovereignty, and providence to give you your hair color. Uh, you may do something that many people do in our day and try to change the color of your hair by dyeing it. But give it a week or so, and you'll see that you've not quite changed what God put on your head. As we heard earlier from Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to Him. You can't swear by the temple and expect not to invoke God's name. You can't swear by the earth and not to expect God to be concerned about that. What are you going to do? If you break your word, are you going to offer up the earth as a payment for breaking your word? It's not yours to offer up, friend. Therefore, what Jesus is doing is he's prohibiting what some of the Jewish leaders were caught up in. Namely, they had established an elaborate, unsound moral system of reasoning to try to weed out which oath was actually binding and which was not. And what had, what had happened was, is that it became very difficult to know whether you could take a certain person for their word in, Ju in Jesus' day. Jesus then is addressing this scheming and clever system of the Jewish culture that aimed to avoid invoking God's name and possess the potential to break a promise or a commitment. If one made an oath, it actually was demanded that the tr truthfulness was to be in everything that they said. But making an oath on top of what you say actually presupposes that you're lying. And lying had indeed made its way into oath-taking in Jesus' day. 
People were casually either doing one of two things. They were either committing perjury, which perjury is, I had to look this up myself, as like I use this word, but what does it actually mean? Well, perjury means that you are willingly, willingly lying under an oath. Or the other thing that they were guilty of is actually misusing God's name. Jesus then is shedding light on an unholy and ungodly practice because this will not stand in His kingdom. And since falsehood and lying were never intended to be the things that were marked, that marked the people of God, Jesus exposes the false swearing, the blindness, the foolishness of those claiming to be God's people and speaking false words and promises. Friends, that is not to be the way of the people of God. We are not to be known by falsehood and the breaking of promises. Jesus has the authority here to reveal the heart of the Old Testament law and prescribe a new way of His kingdom. Remember what He says about Himself in John 14.6. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he also is absolutely pure, and there's not an ounce of falsehood in our Savior. He is the fulfillment of the covenant promises because who is He? He's the Messiah. He's the Anointed One. And He's the One whom all the promises of God find their yes and amen. All the laws and the prophets are fulfilled by Christ Jesus. And be sure of this, friends, that His kingdom will be a kingdom of truth that, it went, that is exalted, loved, and spoken, and upheld. Therefore, Jesus prohibits His people from taking oaths. And if our making of promises or commitments are made with a motive to default or fail, then we should not be making those commitments. Maybe some of you need to hear that again. If you are making a promise or a commitment with a motive to default or fail in your promise or commitment, then don't make the commitment. Oaths are to reflect His character and heart if we indeed even utter them. But friends, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we are prone to falsely swear, to have impure motives, to exaggerate, gossip, and downright lie at times. You see, we may not be people who are familiar with Jewish swearing by the name of God or the temple or Jerusalem or our head, but we are no better than them. We abuse and skew the truth often in our lives. From gossip to the exaggerating of fishing stories. And you're like, oh, Thomas, don't, don't mess with my fishing stories. Or, or other experiences in our lives that we exaggerate to divisive tweets and social media posts 
to penciling everything in on our calendars. And I do mean in pencil, not pen. Because we can't say no, we might miss something. We might miss out. We have a hard time being honest and pure in our speech, direct and truthful, don't we? Now, I'm not calling you to be a jerk for Jesus and speak the truth not in love. That's not what we're called to. But I'm afraid far too often we simply twist the truth and don't even say it. But this is not the way of our king. This is not the way of our God. Our God has never been caught in a lie, never thought about being evasive, nor will any of His promises go incomplete, procrastinated, double-booked, compromised, or unfulfilled. God's promises do not fail because God does not fail. And we need to ask ourselves, why? Why do we have a deep desire to either be vague or deceptive or just slightly elusive? And maybe you don't desire to hide the true meaning of your words, but you want to exaggerate or even fabricate your ideas and experiences. Either way, we desire to hold back a little or extend a little what we're saying rather than simply being truthful and honest. We think, we, we somehow think that we're doing ourselves or others a service by either protecting them or, or ourselves in being sortly elusive or hiding the truth a little bit, sugarcoating it, or we're ginning them up. We're making them more excited. We like extrapolating the truth. We like drawing it out a little bit because we want people to be excited about us and themselves. More excited than they would have been otherwise if I didn't just add a little bit here and there. But Jesus then is calling His true disciples to live and speak completely different than what they had been taught and shown by the world and faulty religious leaders. True disciples of the true king were to put away this falsehood in speech. Don't swear like this. Don't do these things. Jesus teaches here that his followers are people who can be trusted without special promises or solemn assertions attached to what they say. You should be able to say something and not go, oh, and by the way, by the throne of heaven. You should be able to commit to something and not go, by the hair on my head. And subsequent to Jesus' teaching is that not only should the words of His disciples be able to be trusted, but their deeds would match their words so that they could be only accused of one thing. And may this be true of us, friends. May we be only accused of one thing in living truthful and honest lives, that we do the will of our Father in heaven. True disciples who love truth simply do not lie in deed or words, and they put away all falsehood because falsehood and skewing the truth actually mar ourselves 
It mars the image of God and Christ, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. When will we get it, friends, that we can't twist our words? We can't shade the truth to make it a little bit better than it ought to be. The truth is good, and we should love it. Jesus calls His true disciples who love truth to not lie, but He also calls them in verse 37 to keep their word. So point two this morning is that true disciples keep their word. Look with me back at verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. And Jesus really does call his followers to something simple here. He is saying that true disciples keep their word. It's that simple, friends. His disciples who will love truth so much that, they, that life can simply live by saying, by saying yes and meaning it. Or, on the other hand, life can simply be lived by saying no and meaning it. And if you're not up to living this simply, then Jesus warns that living complicated, messy lives due to your words being more or less than yes or no is actually an act of an evil heart. Ultimately, combined with what Jesus says in John 8, 44, if you're adding or taking away from your yes and your no by word, deed, or motive, then you are living more like your old father, the devil, who Jesus calls the father of lies, and not like your true father in heaven who sits on his throne who is pure and radiant and holy and truthful and faithful. What does Jesus say in John 8.44? He was a murderer, that is Satan, from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and a father of lies. Truth-telling and word-keeping are the marks of true disciples, not lies and shady, evasive words. Jesus then, and we have to ask, Jesus. And I, I feel like sometimes, like, did Jesus ever get interrupted on the Sermon on the Mount? Like, he says some pretty interesting things. Like, Jesus, do you really mean it is evil to, to complicate my yes and my no? Absolutely. Remember, Jesus is the truth. He's the Word in the flesh. His words are the standard of His kingdom. His words will be the measuring rod that we are all examined by when we give an account of our lives on the great day of judgment. There will be no lesser standard. There will be no twisted standard. There will be no shady standard. It will be His words that we are judged by. The problem of adding to and taking away from what we say or even worse, adding to or taking away from the Word of God, is an evil that is as old as the garden itself. We are often, when we add to or take away from our yeses and nos, 
We are either following in Eve's footsteps or Satan's footsteps. In Genesis 3, Satan and Eve take some liberties. Satan takes away from God's Word, and Eve falls into this distortion and ends up adding to God's Word. Humanity's sinful corruption of words started right there when God's words were distorted in order to make it possible for us to believe or convince ourselves that there was a better way to live instead of obeying God. Listen to what happens in Genesis 3, starting in verse 2. He, the serpent, said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And then Eve responds, in verse 3, we, we may eat of the, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, in the midst of the garden. I'm sorry. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Note, friends, note what happens. There is a deception of the serpent, the father of lies, and Eve's addition. Then there's the bold-faced lie of the devil where he actually removes the consequences of God's word and command. Ever since the garden, we have struggled to be lovers of truth, reflecting and living out the Word of God before each other and the world. Our hearts are so prone to adding to or taking away from God's Word and our words. Friends, something, something has to change so that you and I can become true disciples who love truth and keep our word. And there's great difficulty in this. Because oftentimes we don't just verbally add to or take away from our yeses and nos. We don't often make oaths when we say something. You very well may say yes to something, knowing full well, though, in your heart, mind, and soul, that you will not be able to do what you just committed to do. Why is it, friends? And maybe some of you are sitting here, well, Thomas, that's not me. I don't do that kind of stuff. This happens out there in the world with, with politicians, right? And, and manipulative bosses and scheming co-workers and shady aunts and uncles. Not, not, not me, Pastor Thomas. I, 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 I say yes and I say no and I mean it. But how often, friend, how often do, you, do we find ourselves in a bind living hurried, anxious, worried lives that we're going to fail some, someone or miss out on something because we said yes to everything and no to nothing. 
Our motives in saying yes or no are often tainted with fleshliness, worldliness, and lawlessness rather than living like we are holy because our God is holy, speaking truth because our Savior speaks truth, and having integrity of heart because we've been given a new heart in Christ Jesus. We fail to see just how serious our words really are and what they actually communicate about us. We may not realize the full scale of what damage and disgrace our words have brought about until what happens in Matthew chapter 12 comes to pass. What happens in Matthew chapter 12? Because the reality of speaking reveals a far more essential and fundamental thing. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37, He says that when we speak, we speak out of the abundance of our heart. Then He says in verses 36 and 37, this should cause us all to shudder. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Your words, friends, are a direct reflection of what's going on inside your heart. Behind every careless False, sly, shady, half-hearted, glibe, maligning word spoken from our mouths is an evil and impure heart. Our heart is the very thing that must change then to make it possible for us to love truth, not lie, and keep our word. Jesus stated earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 8, He says that only the pure in heart will see God. Friends, our words and deeds reveal that we need a heart change because without a pure heart, we will not see God. The good news, though, is that Jesus has come to make it possible for sinners you and me who distort our words and and God's to have new hearts. Jesus made it possible for you to be forgiven and then blessed and given and credited all the righteousness that you would need to be counted as holy before God. Because you see that God made a promise to change our hearts as followers of Jesus. And He made this promise all the way back in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 27. God makes this promise for the new covenant that He will establish when He sends His anointed one. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Oh, friend, don't you want a heart like that? Now we know that God is never God never lies 
and always accomplishes and does what He says He'll do. And Jesus Christ is the one who came and made it possible for that heart change to be a reality in your life and in my life, friends. Will you follow Him? Will you submit to Him? Some of you, some of you here are here today without a pure heart. You need to simply stop lying to yourself thinking that you're actually good when you're not. You also, some of you need to stop lying and telling God that you're going to get your act together and then come to Him. No, what you need to do is you need to surrender all of who you are to Jesus Christ and receive a new, pure heart of flesh. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit will live in you and you can grow day by day in your love of truth. If you want to talk about what it means to receive this heart, know Christ, live for Him, love truth, not lie, keep your word, then please come talk to me or Pastor Jared or Doug or Chad after the service. We would love to talk with you about what this means to live this way and receive a new heart through repentance and belief. Friends, those that follow the true King are to be marked by words and deeds that flow from their changed heart. And we know that behind every thoughtful, pure, grounded, edifying word that we speak, it comes from good, from a good and pure heart. True disciples of Jesus have been given this new heart. Do you want to be his follower? Are you his follower? Does this mark your heart, friend? But maybe you're here today and you're not the one that's given over to lying, exaggerating, and making false promises, although we're very prone to it. Maybe you have been hurt. Maybe you've been lied to. Or you found out from your loved one that things aren't as rosy as they said they were. Being on the receiving end of distorted words has caused you to be suspicious, jaded, scrupulous, or maybe even downright cynical. You, can't, you cannot trust again. And the world would say to you, don't forgive, don't forbear anymore, one second more with such a person that has harmed you and hurt you with their words. I want you to know if that's you this morning, that our God and our Savior Jesus Christ has a plan of redemption and reconciliation that can bring healing and help to the most dishonest of situations. Additionally, you can find fully, or you can fully trust God with all of who you are, all of your distrust and all of your cynicism will not keep Him from you and should not keep you from Him. He loves you. And He doesn't demand that you perfectly trust and entrust yourselves to others again before coming to Him. He is the good Father with open arms of loving, tender care that will never fail or forsake you. 
He has never, not once, not ever spoken a dishonest and distorted word. He has never once not followed through on a promise and is right now that in ways that we can't see or imagine working to bring about every promise that has not been fulfilled yet. And God can be trusted and entrusted with all of your hurts and pains, friends. He can bring reconciliation. He can bring forgiveness. He can bring restoration. He can bring redemption to the most hurtful, deceitful, and hideous of lies. He turned over the lie of Satan, didn't he? He can turn over the lies that have been spoken over, spoken into your life. Healing and hope are coming for you, friend. God can be trusted. He can, you can place all your faith and trust in Him just as the Old Testament, Old Testament saints did, just as the New Testament saints did, and just as many of the saints sitting around you today are doing, even if, especially if, your faith and your trust are weak, frail, and failing because of destructive words spoken into your life. But I have a challenge for you. I have a challenge for all of us, especially for those who've been hurt. Realize, if you're in Christ, you've been given a new heart, you've been forgiven much. You, as an act of love and being a true disciple, should extend forgiveness to those who have hurt you. I know it will be slow and hard and difficult. But you forgiving them could be the very healing, healing balm for the bitterness and hardness of heart that exist in you towards that person. You may say to me, Thomas, you don't know what's been said to me. You don't know how I've been lied to. I would simply say, friend, you're right. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I'm willing to meet with you and listen to you. I'm willing to hear. But I also know that Christ does not call you to keep being angry with that person as if your anger and not your love is going to make the real difference in the healing process. Let me say that again, friends, because we all need to hear this. Christ doesn't call us to keep being angry with the person that has hurt us with their words, thinking our anger and not our love is going to make the real difference in the healing process. Secondly, I want to challenge those of you who believe that you've been lied to by a brother or sister in Christ. I challenge you with much love, much prayer, and much trust in God to go to that brother or sister in the spirit of Matthew 18. And remember, friends, when we take these steps to call our brothers and sisters to account, to live honestly and stop lying. We're not making a move, a flex on that person to tell them how wrong they are and how right we are. That's not love. That's not the love of our Savior. Rather, you take those steps in order that your brother and sister might repent and return to following Christ as a true disciple who loves the truth. So if we're not making oaths like the Jewish people, like what Jesus talks about, 
then then what ways what in what ways does oath making or promising or living by yes and no show up in our lives today well i think there are a few last week we studied about marriage and in marriage if you're married you solemnly swore before God and likely a large group of people, or a group of people, maybe not so large if you got married during COVID, um, <clears throat> you swore in front of God and people that you would stay committed to your spouse until death do you part. How are you doing, spouses particularly, how are you doing in ensuring that your heart is not tempted to believe that your vows are merely like a worldly contract? Because a worldly contract is based on distrust, limited liability, and comes with a mutual consent to void the terms. That's not the marriage covenant. The promise of marriage is to be based on trust, unlimited responsibility, and shall seek to never be broken no matter the circumstances. And I would encourage you to listen to Doug's sermon last week. Uh, to understand more about what it means uh, to, to, or the, in the allowances of divorce, because we believe there are allowances of divorce, so I don't have time to go into that this morning. Go back and listen to last week's sermon. But also, specifically for those of you who are sitting here and are church members, we have made a promise to one another through our membership covenant. And if you're seeking to be a member, we, you are seeking to make that promise to us and we're going to continue to make that promise to you. Specifically, in, this, in our church membership covenant, we promise that, this, that the statement of faith that we believe in, in our hearts and minds, will actually show up in our everyday life. It means what we say we believe affects how we live. You've promised that you will live a life that is consistent with your confession of Christ Jesus. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, how have you been doing in upholding your word of promise in the church covenant? When's the last time you actually even read the covenant? Or used it for a discipleship meetup? Reminded yourself in secret and private devotions of the beliefs that affected the way you live, act, and speak. These are just a few things we promise to. How, how are you doing with your own private devotions? You said you would keep them. How have you sought to live circumspectly or with wisdom and prudence before one another, the world, and God? How has your attendance to church events like regular Sunday mornings gatherings, membership meetings, prayer meetings, and evangelistic outreaches. What's your attendance record? I'm not keeping up with that. But maybe we ought if we're not present in the life of the church like we promised we would be. These are all places where you can be present in one another's lives, speaking truth and love, building up one another, praying for one another, confessing sin to one another so that others uh, so that, the, that others would benefit from your presence and you speaking into their lives and being a part of their walk with Christ. These and other promises are promises that you made to one another as members of the church. 
And since we believe our church is made up of true disciples of the true king, then we should be able to be confident and consistent in keeping our word before God and one another. The last thing I want to address is calendar keeping. We live busy lives, don't we? Many of us don't get things done without our calendars. They are indeed useful tools to put a date and time stamp on our yes, aren't they? They make it happen, or they help make it happen. But friend, I believe that if we were honest, we would realize that more times then we would like to be then we would like to admit things are actually just penciled in we really are not good at saying no to much are we when's the last time you said no this is no i can't do that and no i'm not going to be there i believe that this reveals something that lovers of truth should not be accused of I believe that our endless yeses, our endless reschedulings, our endless cancellations reveal that you and I don't actually have commitment problems. We simply have a commitment to who issue. We don't have commitment problems, friends. We have a commitment to who problem. And I believe that we are most committed to ourselves at the expense of others and even the truthfulness of our own words. We are to be a people whose word reflect our new heart and our God. Living that way requires that we have a mind and a heart that considers others more significant than ourselves. Do you struggle to keep your word when it comes to your calendar because you're more committed to yourself and your pleasure than you are to others? The yeses on our calendar reveal much about what we are committed to or that we keep our word and do and show up when we say we'll do and show up. As we conclude our sermon this morning, I want to ask the worship team to come on up. Remember, true disciples of the true King love truth. We see from Jesus' word that making an oath is not necessary for the followers of the true King. True followers of Christ do not lie, and they always keep their word. When you and I say yes, and when we say no, we actually mean it. We live the simple life. We understand that as we live our lives before God with new hearts that He promised to give us, we don't speak carelessly and falsely. We reflect the very nature of our God and Savior by being true disciples who love truth. This morning, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. We're going to finish with a song. 
Maybe during that song, you meet one of our prayer counselors in the back and pray. Or maybe you need to go someone and apologize for lying and living falsely. Or being scrupulous and unforgiving. Take time this morning to do what the Holy Spirit is pressing you to do, to be a lover of truth. Let's pray. Oh God, we desperately need your help. We cannot live by this high standard of truth and love without you working in and through us. We confess, God, we are so prone to hide the truth, to be evasive, to sugarcoat things, to say things even in truth without love. Oh, God, forgive us. Help us, Father. I pray that we are a people marked by the love of truth for our good, for one another's good, and for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.